Welcome to the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram, and we are almost there. We're almost ready to uh, tip off the college basketball season with openers coming up on Monday and Tuesday, uh, early November, to get things started around college hoops. Coming up on today's show, Rick Bozich is going to join us from WDRB.com in Louisville. He's been a sports reporter in that town for many years, and we're going to get his perspective on the life and career of Bobby Knight, who passed away, and Rick has covered him from a lot of different perspectives over the years, including as a student way back in the 70s, so uh, looking forward to visiting with Rick in just a few minutes here. Chris, how you doing, man? You know, well, um, we talked last week about my, my pinky, and it is it is healing. So Good, yes. yeah. That, that was one of our yeah. big topics last week. Chris, uh, if you weren't with us, uh, slammed his pinky in the car door, and uh, <laughs> our show was a, a bit late getting started uh, while uh, yes. Chris got some repairs, but uh, good to go. So that, that, that's great to hear, man. Yeah, that's my all-time, one of my all-time Hall of Fame dumb moves, but, uh, you know, Except for the no semicolon thing, I'm doing okay. Yeah, everybody had to get by without semicolons last week because it was the <laughs> pinky on his on his right hand. It was his semicolon finger. You know, you don't want that happening. It could have been worse. It could have been a, a letter that he used more. Uh, it, it could have been, yeah. Well, it, it's exciting to get the season started. We're going to touch on some of the openers in just a little bit, but really the big news this week has been the passing of Bobby Knight, most notably Indiana coach. Also, of course, was at Army and was at Texas Tech after uh, things ended at Indiana. Indiana, but 83 years old he died on wednesday won three national championships 902 games also an olympic gold medal in 1984 uh, chris he's just a, a lot of different things and a lot to try to kind of yeah. rec- reconcile when you talk about his life and his career he was an amazing coach in terms of strategy and playing winning basketball i mean he's, he's one of the greatest to ever do it in that regard and then there's the personality part of him and to me, it was hard to understand why he could be as crude and cruel and petty as he was. All that just didn't ever really seem very necessary to me. But uh, a complex uh, character in, in sports, how, how did you view him? You know, when you say complex character, you hit it on the head, Kevin. He may be the most complex character in sports ever. Uh, and if not sports ever, college basketball, because you know, obviously, he was a great coach, won three national championships, but he was volcanic. Uh, he could do crazy things, say stupid things. He slapped a cop in Puerto Rico through a, a, a chair on the floor during a game. Uh, he had a a, a comment uh, about rape that w- would never fly today uh, that he got away with it was shocking and, and insensitive and and dumb uh the best lines i've ever seen about him were in a story called the rabbit hunter written by the legendary frank deford for mm-hmm. sports illustrated um he talked about a little bit you know even some of his mentors uh warned him that uh you know there could be problems pete newell was a guy that he looked up to the the noted former cow coach and big man instructor uh he told deford in that article there are times bobby comes so close to self-destructing and then edwin Cady, who was on the athletics committee at indiana when knight was hired uh says he is in a race now between overcoming immaturity and disaster and even woody hayes the ohio state coach who legendarily uh, uh, met his demise when when he punched out a, a Clemson player 
warned Bobby, who went to Ohio State, look, man, don't don't do crazy things. And there was a great quote uh, that DeFord attributed tonight. He said, I just don't have the personality that connotes humor. It kills me. I get castigated just for screaming at some official. And the other coach, oh, he's perfect. He's being deified. And I don't know, he's one of the worst cheaters in the country. It's like I tell my players, your biggest opponent isn't the other guy, it's human nature. And the, the story, uh, the, the title of the story, The Rabbit Hunter, comes from, he used to tell his kid, you're, you're more worried about rabbits when it's the elephants that's going to kill you. And then even Bobby had to admit, I'm more worried about the rabbits. Yeah. So uh, what got him fired at, at Indiana? A, a, a kid, uh, you know, it was disrespectful, but he went up and said, hey, Knight, how you doing? And Bobby went off on him. He'd been warned one more incident at Indiana, and he was gone, and, and that was it. So uh, one quote uh, DeFore didn't attribute to, well, he, he didn't name the source, but he said, uh, I'm afraid he's going to be a sad old man. And that kind of came true. Uh, he had Alzheimer's, which was a shame. And I read a story where somebody was reading a book to him about the Cleveland Indians, which was his boyhood favorite team. And, they said he'd have some moments of lucidity when he'd remember yeah. the the players as a kid and and not. So, you know, you don't wish that on anybody, but he was a great coach. I was around him quite a bit and saw him just go off on people. He didn't suffer fools well. If you ask a dumb question, even if it wasn't a dumb question, you could get ripped. I remember one time at a NCAA tournament game, you know how they have an SID or somebody be the moderator of the right. press conferences. Yeah. He embarrassed that guy. And I mean, there was no cause for it. Uh, I saw him crush uh, uh, a radio guy in Charlotte. I think it was when he, he was coaching uh, the Pan Am team. And man, I, you just look down at the floor and just pray, you know, that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't catch your gaze next. What are you looking at? Uh, but, yeah. And, and then the other thing is, off the court, when Landon Turner was paralyzed in a car accident, Bobby Knight was there, uh, you know, all night and stayed with him and, and, and you know, helped him. And uh, he, he had that side of him, too. So when I say complex, you cannot pin him down. Is he the genius coach? Is he the volcanic, uh, you know, crazy man? Is he the, um, uh, you know, the benefactor and the mentor to many? I mean, I looked up some quotes. Steve Alford, he did so much more than teach things on court. Digger Phelps, he was my mentor for game strategy and teaching defense. He was my big brother. Dusty May of FF, FAU, the impact that he had on me and so many others can't be measured. So, you know, it's, uh, it's he's a an ocean of, of uh, conflicting stories. Chris, another notable death from uh, college basketball was Walter Davis. He was 69 years old. He is a North Carolina legend, actually the uncle of Hubert Davis, who, of course, is the coach now. Uh, died on Thursday in Charlotte. Uh, he helped UNC get to the championship game in Atlanta in 1977. They played Marquette. 
and also went on to become a five-time NBA All-Star, most notably with the Phoenix Suns, who drafted him. He played 11 years there, and his number six is retired. But, man, Walter Davis was a great player for the Tar Heels and, and excellent in the NBA after that. He really was. Uh, uh, that's an era where I lived in Virginia and was a huge ACC fan. I mean, just like the games were on Saturdays and, uh, you know, Billy Packer uh, uh, was on the call. And I'll never forget this game. It's, it's, it's still a legend. And this is before the three-point goal. It was in 1974. Uh, North Carolina rallied against Duke. Uh, they were down eight points with 17 seconds to go. And Walter Davis made the, the long shot to, to send it into overtime where Carolina won. Uh, a friend of mine, Dave Hanners, uh, was uh, playing for Carolina then. I think he may have made one of the steals that it took. But can you imagine that? An eight-point comeback in 17 seconds with no three-point goal. And uh, Walter was a big part of that. Of course, he played with Phil Ford, uh, who had some great things to say uh, about him after his passing. It was just a, an awesome Carolina team. And, and really, the ACC, unlike the last couple of years, was super competitive. And uh, Walter really shined. And he was the number one. People forget how high he went in the draft in 77. He was the number five pick. He was rookie of the year, a six-time all-star. Uh, so uh, I think he averaged 18 and shot 51% for his career. So he 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 made his mark in in the college game and the NBA. So he'll be missed by those who knew him. I know the Carolina family. I have a lot of friends who are in that family, and and they're a, a tight-knit bunch. Well, it's uh, time to tip off the season, as we talked about. And, and this is being called the year of the big man in college basketball. Would you agree with that, You know, especially with Zach Eady back at Purdue, Kyle Filipowski at Duke, and Hunter Dickinson now at Kansas after transferring from Michigan? So uh, those three and, and, and quite a few more have a chance to really do some damage down low this season. Yeah, they do. I don't know if I'd call it the year of the big man per se because ever since they put that three-point goal in, which I wasn't a fan of at the time, it's been back in the hands of the guards and increasingly so every year as coaches get wise and hip to spacing i was talking to somebody about this just yesterday in terms of nba scouting a five man has to shoot the three now mm -hmm. or he's not even hardly considered you know uh so uh, i i think th that obviously guys like Edie are going to be dominant but when you can take a team like Fairleigh Dickinson and surround him and, uh, and neutralize him and dare his opponents to make shots and they don't, um, you can take out a big guy. But if you've got a bunch of good guards like FAU does and did in its final four run last year, um, you can control tempo, you can make shots, you can build up big leads, you can come from behind uh, quickly. So – yeah, I just think the game has fundamentally changed. And I was a grump about it, even though I, was, I wasn't very old when the three-point goal was introduced. I just didn't think we needed it. But now I'm such a big fan of it. and But I do like to see a, a vintage big guy like, like Edie. There's no question. Uh, it's part of the game that I grew up with and will never forget. I was talking to somebody – uh, about another subject uh, 
dominant big men. And we couldn't decide between Russell or Chamberlain who would be on our all-time five and somebody threw in Jabbar. And, and, but those were the time when, when, when men were men and bigs were bigs, you know, they, yeah. they knew where their bread was buttered. And, and I think that's certainly true of Edie. I think Filipowski is more of a new age kind of big guy who can face up and you're expected to initiate offense from the high post. And, and most of the, I, I know the kid that, that they just got a, a Duke just got a commitment from Cooper flag uh, is one of those guys that, that can score inside and out and facilitate offense. So as the game changes, uh, kids aren't getting any smaller, but the big kids have to change their game too. Yeah, I saw it at Vanderbilt last year with Liam Robbins. Uh, you know, such a, a talent, and you know, some around you know jokingly call him the unicorn. You know, because he could just do so yeah. many things so well. He's such a unique player. Uh, he could shoot from the outside. He could score inside and block shots and all those block things. Shots, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's really interesting to see you know what what the big man has become, not just in college basketball, but but beyond that in the NBA. And you think back to that time when when. Big men were used so much differently back in Kareem's day. Uh, to me, Kareem is the most underrated great player in the history of basketball, and, and that's probably a conversation for another time. He was unstoppable with the skyhook. But, yeah, the, yeah. The, the big men these days can do so many things and uh, just have so much talent. And, you know, passing in, and all those things. Hunter Dickinson, man, from watching him in person, his passing ability was a lot of what really stood out to me in watching him uh, for Michigan last season. So we'll keep an eye on those three and certainly a whole lot more. Early in the week, Monday and Tuesday, not a lot in terms of big-name matchups in the first couple days of the season. USC plays Kansas State in Vegas on Monday. Auburn against Baylor and Sioux Falls. Those are some pretty good early uh, week matchups. Later on in the week, though, we're going to get some good ones uh, in terms of name-brand teams. Arizona plays at Duke on Friday. Texas A&M at Ohio State. Tennessee at Wisconsin. Maybe a sneaky good game. Yale at Gonzaga. San Diego State at BYU. So we're going to see some some fun matchups. Uh, I call the games for Vanderbilt, of course. Uh, play on Tuesday and on Friday and a couple games at Memorial Gym to start off the season. Yeah, I, I, I think I I wish that if there was going to be an opening day, that there would be something like baseball does. Uh, maybe have uh, I don't know, maybe move the Champions Classic, which all, all is played every year with the same teams. Maybe move that to that night. I don't know, but uh, certainly the month of November is is going to be as as uh, ESPN has dubbed it well they call it feast week i call it feast month uh because i'm just so excited to to see everybody that i can and i'm really looking forward to a a lot of the tournaments i I think in terms of what's going to happen uh for the season you could look no farther than maui uh they're not playing in maui but they're still going to hawaii to play this tournament i think what we see out of there could be some sort of precursor uh to who you see on that last weekend, uh, you, you've got Tennessee, Purdue, Gonzaga, Kansas, UCLA, Marquette, uh, Syracuse is in there. And I think they'll probably be better uh, than a lot of people think. So, yeah, uh, y- you never know. Well, Chris, our, our guest this week is a guy who's just synonymous with uh, with covering sports in Louisville. He's at WDRB.com and wrote a, a terrific column about the passing of Bobby Knight and his experiences with him, going all the way back to when he was a student at Indiana. He is Rick Bozich. Rick, how you doing? Doing great, doing great. How are you guys doing? We're, we're well, and thanks so much for, for joining us, Rick. I, I knew you'd be the perfect guy to 
to come on after Coach Knight's passing. We were just trying to grapple with what his legacy might be. Uh, you know, he was so many things to so many different people. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, first from the standpoint of Indiana, I mean, he was Indiana basketball. And, and when he was at his full and absolute powers, um, and he was the Big Ten. And he was really, in many ways, uh, the face of college basketball. I know Dean Smith was really good during those days. Denny Crum was really good during those days. But because of the force of his personality and some of the things he did, some admirable, some not quite so admirable, uh, that he always drew the attention to himself. Uh, and, you know, last perfect team uh, in college basketball. What people sometimes forget is he had back-to-back um, the year before they went 18-0 and in the Big Ten. They might have won the title that year, but Scott May broke his arm. So All right, I remember. And that was his third, uh, no, fourth and fifth years at IU. I mean, it's very. I, w- I went back and looked at it, and I was a freshman. I knew – that he started strong the very first year he was there and remember freshmen weren't eligible there was no transfer portal so all he had was guys that were left over to him and george mcginnis had just gone pro uh he had steve downing and a bunch of other guys who you'll never remember kim pemberton bootsy white john <laughs> ritter john uh jerry memoring uh trying to think of um, just a bunch of guys you can't even remember their names and in the second game he was there, he beat a ranked Kansas team. In the fourth game he was there, he beat Adolph Rupp in Kentucky in Freedom Hall. So right off the bat, he showed this is going to be keep keep an eye on this guy. Yeah. What uh, when you when you you've been around him in so many situations, and I'm sure you witnessed some of his explosions on the media. Any stories <laughs> come to mind uh, uh, about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was one year when a good friend of mine, Russ Brown, I don't know if you know Russ, he covered him a long, long time, and then he covered Louisville. uh, And Russ would write what he wanted to write. You know, a lot of times when players left the team, sometimes people didn't really write about it. And sometimes Russ would call the player and find out his side of the story. And Knight didn't like that. And he would call him at home. Russ was telling me this last night. He'd call him at home and his wife would answer the phone. He goes, hi, Mrs. Brown. How are you doing? How's the family? Everything going okay? Can I speak to you? And then Russ would get on the line and it'd be like, you know, 30 straight seconds of profanity. (laughs) When you get up to Bloomington, I'm going to ram your head through a wall. (laughs) One year, actually, he wanted to intimidate Russ and it was a press conference in the press room of Assembly Hall and we came out of the the interview room and in the hallway and Russ was walking one way and Knight was walking the other, and he pulled out a starter's pistol and turned and shot it at him. Wow. <laughs> and Russ, to his credit, said, ha, you missed. <laughs> and, Knight, and Knight said, no, I didn't. Shake your head. <laughs> so that was, I mean, so many times. I, I, I can... This one isn't funny, but I know that in 1984, when the Olympic trials were in Bloomington, uh, he was battling then with Curry Kirkpatrick pretty heavily. And when they had the final press conference at the end of the Olympic trials, there, we were all in the media room, and he saw Curry Kirkpatrick sitting in the back of the room. He said, what is that guy doing in here? And we didn't know. And we turned around, <laughs> and it was Curry Kirkpatrick, and he said, "No, I, I'm not. there's not going to be a press conference if he's in the room. And it was like awkward silence for like 30 seconds. 
And he goes, I'm not, yeah, you guys can make a decision. Either he leaves or there's no press conference. And Curry got up and said, you know, out of respect to the other writers in the room, I'm going to leave. But, you know, Bill Benner and I and a bunch of guys later were very angry at ourselves saying we should have all gotten up and left. Uh, but <laughs> night was so intimidating that we didn't. But I, I mean, there's, there, uh, here's a story. In 1970, I think it was 77, um, that's when they, they won the championship in 76. The, the, the next year, they had a really good team, the best freshman class in the country. They thought they were going to be good. They weren't. They didn't, didn't make the tournament. And five or six guys transferred out. And every time they did, the Daily Student uh, wrote a story uh, about this is why this guy left. And yeah, he grabbed me in the locker room or this stuff. Well, uh, the Bloomington paper, a lot of times when a guy left, it'd be one sentence at the end of a story. You know, Rich Valavicious is no longer on the team. <laughs> so the, the the editor of the Bloomington paper or the publisher of the Bloomington paper said, hey, we're going to have to write something about this. People are asking what's going on. And so they finally did. And when they did, Knight exploded because at that point, you know, they didn't cross him. And so right. for the next for most of the next season, he didn't do any post-game press conferences at all, didn't talk to anybody. He just talked to the SID, gave him like three quotes, and they handed out mimeograph statements. Huh. <laughs> wow. Different world, man. That's why <laughs> you know everybody world. knows it's very obvious that in today's world, with social media and cell phones, he wouldn't last mm. a day. Uh, no. If, if a player had a cell phone in the locker, I mean, there's that video, you can Google Bob Knight, Purdue, uh, speech or whatever, and it's that it's like about a minute long clip of him just he, like he threw it on sixteen f bombs in, in a minute, uh, yelling at the team because he didn't want him to embarrass him again by losing to Purdue. And he and the one reason he no longer was the coach at Indiana is because somebody leaked out a practice video, uh, you know, from a from a you know a student manager probably it was. Uh, so with videos and audios being much more accessible now. The stuff he did, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fly. Rick, uh, as for the basketball part, I mean, there, there's no denying he's one of the great coaches and strategists. How was he able to get the most out of that motion offense, which I guess was adapted from some of Pete Newell's concepts and really went over fans who were used to a faster tempo of that program? Well, he won the fans over by winning, for yeah, sure. That's, right. that's what it was. Yeah. I, mean, I remember there was a lot of grumbling early on. With the players, I think he did it because – um, very rarely was he recruiting like the absolute best of the best. He he thought he was smart, a very intelligent guy. It's like I need to get guys who um, will do what I want them to do. Uh, that not it's not going to be about them. It's going to be about the team. Uh, and the key crew, recruit in all of it was Quinn Buckner, uh, who was his yeah. first big name recruit. And if you remember watching Quinn Buckner play, uh, he wasn't a great scorer, but what he was was a great defender. He was a great leader. He was a great facilitator, played in the NBA for 10 years, one of the few guys that won a state championship, a college championship, an NBA championship, and a gold medal. Uh, but that was his mentality. So, you know, he I, I think that he wanted guys that were going to buy into the way he was going to do it, and, and that's what his secret was. And I think – Part of the reason later in his career he didn't succeed as as well is that the culture changed and there weren't as many of those type of kids. They were harder to find. 
Rick, where, where you work in Louisville is, I mean, it's the number one market for college basketball in the country, yes. and, and it has been for years. I, I lived there in late 70s, early 80s, and, you know, we watched all the games, whether it was Louisville or Kentucky or Indiana, and watch Indiana games on Channel 41, actually, I remember back then. Right. And, and it's interesting to me that the Joby Hall, Denny Crum, and, and Bobby Knight have all passed away in this sort of short time frame. But do you look around now and wonder what happened to these programs and, and that they're nowhere near as relevant uh, as the fan bases are, are used to? Yeah, for sure. Well, Kentucky is. I mean, they've been down the last couple of years, but obviously they've been really good for a long, long time. But yeah, I mean, Indiana has, I'll admit I was wrong. I thought after Knight was fired that Indiana would recover quickly and be, you know, a top 10, top 20 program every year. And it hasn't happened uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, Mike Woodson, I think, has it going in the right direction, but he's got a lot of proving to do. And Louisville was really good, uh, you know, for a lot of the Patino era, but then all the different stuff that went on there, now they've fallen and they're having a hard time getting back up. So, yeah, I think about it all the time. Back in the, as you mentioned, in the 70s and 80s, I mean, there was one of these teams in the Final Four pretty much every year. Sure, or or winning the championship. Yeah, Kentucky won in 78, Louisville won in 80, Indiana won in 81. Louisville won in 86, Indiana won in 87, and then Louisville was in two or three other Final Fours during that period. So this was the place to be. And, you know, at times, I think a lot of people took it for granted it'll always be that way, Uh, but it's not. And it's hard, and I think um, there's a lot of pressure now on both those schools, Louisville and Indiana, to get it back where it was. Rick, we've all seen the game change and the way its coach changed. The players, as you alluded to, are, are different. There's no way uh, Bobby Knight's bullying tactics work in in today's game, is there? No, and like I said, they didn't really work in the last part of his career. Um, right, guys, especially with the transfer portal. I mean, you know, somebody would be gone the two or three days after they arrived. <laughs> you got more places to go. You got more places taking basketball seriously. You got uh, a lot of good coaches out there, and uh, yeah, you, you you can't. I mean the the world has changed and that's you know there he wasn't the only one i mean there's all those stories about bear bryant and what he put his yep. football players through at texas a&m and woody hayes and bo schembechler and on and on and on that i can remember when howard schnellenberger came here to coach louisville football uh that water wasn't you know there was no guarantee they were going to get water during august football practice so they'd go <laughs> three a days they don't go three a days now sometimes they don't go three a week <laughs> Rick, uh, great great perspective on all this. Really appreciate your time and uh, all the best to you. And, and looking forward to the season getting cranked up here again. All right, thanks. I'll, I'm, a, I'm a listener to the pod, so I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. That was Rick Bozich uh, with WDRB.com in Louisville. He, he wrote for the Courier-Journal for many years. He's been in that town, has a great perspective on, on college basketball and certainly uh, on Bobby Knight, going back to when he was a student uh, in 1971, he said w- was the first time uh, he was in, in the same gym with, with Bobby Knight uh, as a student when Coach Knight was in his first season as coach and you know, covered him all along the way at different phases of their careers. But Rick is really good, um, not just basketball, a lot of different sports. Um, yeah, I asked him that question about 
those three teams, Kentucky, Louisville, Indiana, and, and where they stand in college basketball, maybe relevant wasn't the, the correct word, but you, know, you think about Kentucky, they haven't been to a Final Four in eight years. They've had some really good teams, but they haven't been to a Final Four since 2015. And Louisville and Indiana, if you had told me going back to the 80s that those teams would be where they are now and, and have had the struggles and, and scandals and everything else that have happened, I, I would have never have believed that because, you know, as Rick described, in that stretch of time from you'll know, say late 70s all the way through say early 90s those teams were among the most dominant in college basketball so i'm sure they'll get it back at some point because they're the, the tradition of those teams means so much but it's just really interesting to me to, to see where they stand at, at this moment yeah i i think coaching hires i mean they they, they mean everything if if you don't like i know kenny payne was was a guy that everybody thought had deserved his his chance and and maybe he will prove the, those people those supporters to be correct but at, at a program like Louisville and of course they won four games in, in coach's first season last year and they've already lost to Kentucky Wesleyan in a in an exhibition game which as the fans just ready to jump off bridges at a program like that I I just think you you've just got to get a proven head coach. You've just got to make the right hire. Uh, you know, Coach Sampson I thought was was the great hire at, at Indiana, and then he got uh, ran afoul of some relatively you know minor offenses. I know, you think, I know things that wouldn't that even to, things that wouldn't even be that big of a deal probably now. Blip, you know, you know, yeah. it, the NCAA would get out its ruler and slap you on the wrist now. But he got fired for it, and then Tom Crean, you know, he had he won a couple of Big Ten championships, but turns out he hard on his players uh, at Georgia. They proved that kids would transfer out in waves, and, and so uh, I don't know why they didn't they they didn't ever hook up with Steve Alford at Indiana. Uh, it just never was right, and and I think maybe some people thought that. Uh, how he fared at Iowa uh, wasn't maybe what they would have wanted uh, out of a, another coach in, in another Big Ten school at, at Indiana. But I always thought maybe Alford deserved a chance. He's such a folk hero there, and he's a proven head coach. Uh, he's done well everywhere he's been. Uh, but, yeah, it just – you make one bad hire, you get into one bit of trouble – uh, let alone a ton of stuff like's happened at Louisville. Mm -hmm. And as far as Kentucky, I just think that a lot of people think the game's passed Coach Cal by. And I don't think that's it. I really do think that in college basketball, and we're seeing this, especially with the COVID years that have been added and, and extended people's careers and made teams older, I think you just have to be old. And, you know, Coach – Cal, uh, he, he sort of pioneered that one-and-done recruiting, and it worked for him only once in 2012 when he had, I think, one of the most unique players in the history of college basketball, Anthony Davis, uh, as his focal point. But I think you have to get old, and, 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 and if you can stay old like Villanova did when Jay Wright was there, to me, that's the key. And, again, you, you have to have shooters. I I talked to Rick Barnes about this last spring. Uh, 
you know, they were wondering about who they should get in the portal. And I said, well, let me send you something. So I cut out the three-point goal statistics for UConn's top eight. And six of the top eight shot between 38 and 44% from three. I said, you can play the best defense in the country, and you did. Uh, your, te- your team was the best defensive team in the country. But sometimes you couldn't throw it in the ocean. Everybody needs people that can make shots. And, boy, I mean, they went out and got a couple of flamethrowers. And then in this exhibition on Sunday, they went up to Michigan State, which is a team people think will be in the Final Four. And without their two best point guards, went in there and won that thing. Sure. And the two kids that they recruited out of the portal that can shoot scored 48 points between them. So, uh, yeah, I – I just I like Steve Forbes as uh, the Wake Forest coach and, and a friend of the show and a guy I've known and respected for years. His mantra is, "If he don't shoot, don't recruit." <laughs> yeah, that might be the best way of looking at it. I think you made great points, uh, you know, about Kentucky and and why they haven't visited the Final Four in a little while. I mean. It's hard to bring in all new players or, or mostly new players year after year yeah. and have them all gel in time to make a successful tournament run. And when you get in those tournaments, and there are exceptions for sure, but there's no substitute for experience and guys who play together. And when you really need to to, to lock it down and run something and, and score a big bucket, uh, you, you have that experience to get it done. And, and you talk about shooting. I, I think that's been a problem for that program too, is that they no just question. they just haven't had enough good shooting, uh, three-point shooting to stay at the level where the, the fans expect them to be. So I, I think this will be a really interesting year for, for John Calipari and that Kentucky program. Changes to the NIT as we kind of get to the finish line here of our show. Having been part of that tournament a number of times in different places, uh, been a couple times with Vanderbilt, made successful runs, and same thing at Belmont a few times when I was there. Uh, it, it kind of makes me a little sad that it, that it feels like it's pushing the, the mid-major teams more to the outside and that they won't get those automatic bids. Like if you don't win your conference tournament, especially in a one-bid league and you're the regular season champion, you get an automatic spot in the NIT. Well, that that's going to go away. They're, they're restructuring how those things will be done. And Dan Gavitt, who's the NCAA Senior Vice President of Basketball, um, I'm reading some of the ESPN article, was saying that it was in direct response to a new postseason tournament that's expected to start in 2025. He was saying that the very viability of the NIT could be in jeopardy. So those things to me are, are, are a bit sad to see for tournaments that have been around a long time. You're talking about more than 80 years. And, and we'll see how it, how it looks in the years to come. It's moved its semifinals and championship out of Madison Square Garden just this past year, which to me was always sort of the draw of the tournament. Like if you got in, the carrot at the end was to to win enough games to go yeah. to Madison Square Garden and play. Now there's not really that, which makes it kind of feel like it's sort of any other tournament. But uh, I understand why uh, some people, especially some of the mid-major leagues, are unhappy with those decisions. Uh, it's interesting you bring this up. Just this morning, I, I, I don't know. When I first wake up, I get thoughts in my head. Maybe... Maybe it's because the day hasn't had time to clutter my brain. But I just thought, what hath expansion wrought, you know, uh, mm-hmm. after next year when the Pac-12 is no more or, or they, I don't know, blend into the Mountain West or whatever, uh, and there's 20 teams in the Big Ten and the Big 12 is loaded, uh, what is going to be the the offshoots of some of this? And 
the first thing that we see is this supposed tournament and uh, that uh, Dan is worried about and what it is. It's the Big East, Big Ten, Big 12, uh, the top 16 uh, from those three leagues. I don't know why they left out the ACC and, and SEC, but the, the top 16 from those three leagues that did not make the NCAA will get to play in this tournament. And it's a T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. It's a real deal. And that's what they're worried about. The one thing that, that Gavitt said that I was glad about, um, the, the NIT movement is not a response to anything that might happen to the NCAA tournament. Uh, and In terms of expansion or, or something majors. like that. He, yeah. He, he says fears of, of no, fewer mid-majors were, quote, not justified. So – not justified and not accurate are two different things. Right. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm like you. I, there are certain th- institutions. I mean, I don't, I'm too young to remember this, but there were, there were days when teams faced with uh, getting an NCAA bid or NIT chose the NIT. Right. It, it was the bigger of the uh, tournaments uh, for, for many yeah. years back, back then. Yeah. So, you know, I, I hate to see institutions go, uh, again, going back around as we started the show to Coach Knight, he was an institution, and I hate to see him gone. Uh, albeit somebody that I, I don't care who you are, you could take a team of psychologists and coaches and analysts, and you could never get to the heart of that guy. He, as I said, I, I would put him up with the most complex sports figures in in any sport in the history of sports. Going back to when the Romans dropped dead carrying the tor- <laughs> torch for the original Olympic Games. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to go that far back in history on this show. Today. Well, you got to go, man. If you're gonna, if you you got to lean into it if you're going to make a, a sweeping statement like that. Uh, Bobby Knight was one, uh, one complex dude. And, and he, I, I, I don't know. He, I've seen him do some incredibly kind things too, as we said earlier. But yeah, uh, another institution is gone though, and and in in certain circles, he definitely will be missed. Well, one institution that lives on is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, and uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris, it's awesome to, to get another season the underway. Segway. Really looking forward to it. I, I did my best there. Thanks, man. That's always a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. He's Chris Dortch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That's a Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.